content warning for this upcoming episode, discussions of suicidal ideations and sexual assault. Because I had not heard either of the story or the movie. Oh, really? I figured you would have heard the movie because you're on Twitter. Oh, you haven't been on Twitter, though, recently. No. So you missed the whole thing. Oh, boy. Awkward. That's okay. No problem. <laughs> I don't know. I feel like awkward around Twitter now. <laughs> it's like an ex-boyfriend. Yeah. <laughs> Welcome to Sex with Ghosts. I'm Molly, and I'm here today with Bridget. Hello. Welcome back, Molly. Thanks, and thanks for hosting that enlightening episode with Allison guarding the cocaine bear. Any good takeaways from that? Um, No, it's just I'm now even more curious about what this movie is going to be about because the story itself, like, it could be a movie for sure, but I feel like from what you were explaining, I still haven't seen the preview, but it definitely doesn't sound like that's where they're headed with yeah. it. So it's like, what? Or maybe they'll do like some sort of parallel plot line where it's like the cocaine bears attacking people, but then they have like the CIA yeah. stuff in the background. Perhaps. There's just so much material there. I don't know why they didn't use it. Yes, there definitely is. Well, I'm glad you, you were able to listen to it and enjoy it. Uh, today's story is going to be a little bit more grounded in reality, I suppose. Well, I guess that one was too, really. Uh, well, and this came out of talking about the Bohemian right. retreat for all those old white men. So I'm kind of excited because of the references you're making in the Bohemian. What is that called? Bohemian Society, the Bohemian. Bohemian Grove. I'm the one who did the episode. Bohemian Grove episode. So I'm excited to see what kind of scumbag. I mean, I know he's a scumbag. Yeah, but yeah. It's not just like layers upon layers. Have we said yet what it is? Mm, no, I don't think so. It's Madison Cawthorn, a former House of Representatives rep from North Carolina. Oh, yeah. This guy. This guy. This guy. David Madison Cawthorn was born on August 1st of 1995. Jesus Christ. I know. He is just a little baby. His brain is not even completely formed. Yes. Or just maybe solidified. Yes. 27 is the number, folks. <laughs> Oof. You'll see that plane. To a lot of these stories, I believe, or you oh, know, cool. anecdotes, I guess. Born in Asheville, North Carolina. Oh, I like Asheville. Have you been there? I haven't, and I really want to. You would love it because there's a lot of cool breweries there. Yeah, it seems like a cool place. Except for he was homeschooled. Of course he was. That, ugh, the entitlement of this loser and then yeah. 
being socially off started early is weird. No offense to anyone who's been homeschooled, but I think we all know the risk of being homeschooled here. Yes. And I think there is a difference between this like Southern homeschool versus like some other brands of homeschooling. Well, and I feel like a lot of, okay. So when I was in the South and there's other people from the South I've met who are adamant about homeschooling their kids. And it's because they don't like what them public schools are teaching them. Yeah, Like it's a very Betsy DeVos, uh, Amway sort of point of view where it's like, they're going to learn science and we don't want them to learn science. We want them to learn about God and whatever basics to get him into college. I think that's what this was because the thing is his father was a successful financial financial I don't I guess I don't have the the actual title. Actual title. He was in finance. He was in finance. So it's like his father had education, right? Yeah. Or at least maybe he's like one of those like idiot savants with math, you know, like can see numbers and he's like, oh, this is what that means. That's possible. But I just find it interesting that it's not like his father was like a farmer or something. He was doing stuff enough to to call themselves a upper middle class family. Well, yeah, I would I would expect nothing less from this guy, from his purse, from the way we've seen him perform in the media. He has privilege. Yes. You know, exudes it. And that partially also feels like maybe their his parents was also trying to like curate his friend group a bit. Well, yeah, you homeschool. That's I think that's also part of it, right? Must be. He was a one-time football linebacker, a weightlifter, a duck hunter, and a friendly Chick-fil-A cashier. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. But this all changed in 2014 when he was returning to North Carolina on a spring break trip to Florida. Oh, boy. Okay. I'm in. He was with his 17-year-old friend, um, I don't know his first name. Let's see. Well, I mean, if he's just some guy versus like he has just some future guy. senator. Yes, yes. <laughs> but it's it's funny because this guy is now like a CEO of a company at like twenty four. So it's it's really interesting how these people in his circle like they're very privileged, but they also like have these very conservative. Christian values. If you're in one of these families, you think it's hard to like, I mean, what I'm saying is it's got to be easy to start a startup. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Brad Ledford. Like that's your whole thing. You're going to you're like going to school and at UNC and you're like, oh, you know what I'm going to do when I get out of here? I'm going to do this idea. My dad's going to give me money to do it. Yep. And that, that's pretty much what their lives are. And also, I don't know. I mean, I'm not I'm not judging too harshly, but I'm also kind of judging a little bit harshly because you send your 18 and 17-year-old down to spring break. That's so normal. Is that, that just seems insane. I'm not saying it's normal for us, yeah. but 
I definitely noticed that when we were in college, like all of the people from Chicago went to Florida for spring break and it was like a thing. And I remember thinking like, that's so weird because like us Iowa students from Iowa were like, yeah, probably spend the week drinking or maybe I'll go on a road trip and find myself. And like all the Chicago kids are like, we're going to Mexico or Florida and we have a resort and this is where you go and this is where you drink and this is where you party. It's like, oh, whoa, that's it's like a network. It's intense. It must be. But then it's like you homeschooled your kids, though, and you're letting them go on spring break. I mean, I guess he was 18 at the time, so maybe they didn't have as much control or something. But still, I find the whole thing a little bit. Oh, I'm sure they were like, he was like, I'm going with my other good white Christian friends. <laughs> and they're like, how much trouble can boys get into? Boys will be boys. You go and be boys. Ugh. And I couldn't find any stories about what they actually did, which was probably well hidden. But on the way back. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Especially after running for. U.S. Congress. Yeah, yeah. 18-year-old Cawthorn was sleeping in the passenger seat, reclined back with his legs on the dashboard when his friend Brad Ledford, 17 at the time, dozed off. He veered from the interstate, crashing his father's SUV into a concrete barricade going 65 miles per hour, and the vehicle erupted into flames almost immediately after impact um so by dozed off we mean he was like blacked out drunk see that that's what i don't i don't know i it seems possible but i didn't see any stories about that kind of angle so who knows would they have had their blood alcohol tested i don't know and depending on what both gentlemen's father's connections are does that get reported? It's like that. I don't know if we'll cover it because I feel like it's been overly covered, but kind of like the, I think they're called the Murdochs, that murder that just happened where the, the dad, the dad tried to do uh, some sort of complicated ploy where he hired a hitman to attempt to kill him. And there's rumors or theories that he actually killed his family members to keep their mouths shut. Goodness. Goodness. My. And I feel like but when the sons got into a boating accident when he was like a teenager and he never like a lot of the details of what happened kind of got swept under. Yeah. And I think this, the details of this accident gets swept under because of the lawsuits that are to come. Oh, Which, yeah, baby. <laughs> this is the story that Ledford told. He, referring to Cawthorn by a nickname, says, quote, You recognize that Maddie was unconscious and realizing that the situation was getting worse and worse. He moved towards Cawthorn, but felt an intense heat on his right arm realizing that the flames were engulfing the entire back half of the SUV. So he's trying to escape. Oh, Jesus Christ. This sounds like <laughs> some like fast and furious shit. Yes. Yes. He tries to open the driver's side door, but it's jammed. He tries to kick out the windshield, but it 
doesn't budge, so he punches out the passenger side window. He climbs out and lands on the concrete and immediately turns around to unbuckle Cawthorn, who he's trying to wake up during this time. He pulls his friend from the window. A bystander comes and helps him carry him away from the car. And he remembers his leg being pretty badly cut up from the accident. And they're sitting on the side of the interstate. So he takes his shirt off and wraps it around his leg, the cut up leg, and stays with him until the paramedics get there. So while Cawthorn is still at the hospital, his father, Roger Cawthorn, tells the North Carolina TV station WLOS that Ledford saved his son's life. If it wasn't for him, Madison would have died. Okay, but he also was the one who almost killed him. It's true. I mean, that's cool. He saved his life after almost killing him. But (laughs) I feel like that's how you know. That's how you know they did something bad. Because if he had just fallen asleep, I feel like the parents would be like, more furious and there would be like I don't know it wouldn't seem it seems like they're definitely covering something up I don't know yeah it's a weird story because um pretty soon after he uh Madison is going to sue his friend Brad and Brad's father who has a insurance business oh yeah well you gotta sue that that's That's where the money's at. And this is for millions of dollars of medical bills and for some supposed bad faith negotiations. So it kind of turns into a a mess. Brad Ledford and Cawthorn are texting throughout this lawsuit, which is probably a bad idea, really, when when it comes down to it, because all the, the text messages get wrapped into this lawsuit. Wait, did you say or because for people who don't know, I guess he's in a wheelchair. Ah, yes. Good point. Was he like paralyzed? What was? Yes. You know what actually ended up being the end result from the accident? So the report from the Florida Highway Patrol is that it was life threat, life threatening and incapacitating injuries. He's helicoptered to a hospital and immediately has to undergo many operations. It broke his ankles, his pelvis, and his back. Jesus Christ. So he must have just, like, went forward into the dashboard and it just, like, crushed his lower half? Yeah. As a PSA for any listeners, do not sit in a passenger seat with your legs on the dashboard because I actually also know someone from high school who did that and ended up uh, breaking her legs. So Jeez. it is not an uncommon thing. I used to do it all the time in high school. Yeah. Like Laurel would be driving her minivan and I'd have my feet up on the dashboard like some sort of goon. Yep. And that's not, that's really bad if you get in an accident. Ugh. So they go into loss, the lawsuit, but he's still friends with this guy. It's multiple lawsuits 
he actually ends up losing part part of them, winning part of them. It's not a great time for Madison. He is in intense rehab. At the beginning of the rehab, they say, oh, he may stand again. But by the end of an intense spinal cord rehab stint, he is told that he will never walk again. And he is now a paraplegic. Oh, yikes. Now, this is the first of some interesting stories about Madison. I don't think that I could really find anything bad on him before this happened. I mean, it's probably possible that he was doing bad things when you'll hear some of these stories. But for now, all we have is what happened after the accident. So he's going through these lawsuits, he's going through his rehab, and based on the deposition of his and text messages to his friends, we can see that he's very depressed, he's very angry, he's very bitter. I feel like all of that's valid. Yes, I mean, um, I think he probably is a monster overall, but all of these things sound like exactly what someone would go through after losing their legs. Yes. In addition, he's kind of constantly in pain. And he is saying to many people and in the deposition that he is a bit suicidal. Um, I have a weird story about his father here. But um, as we'll come to find, Catherine's not a a reliable narrator. He's quite a liar. No. And an exaggerator. Yes. So keep that in mind. The Republican congressman from North Carolina? This re- recollection, I mean, it's possible that his dad said this, and I I don't know. I'll, I want to know your feelings on it. He says, and basically saying, son, you need to make a decision. You either need to give up or you need to move on. So do you think his father was telling him to either commit suicide or move on? Um, maybe. I mean, I feel like the attitude of most conservative people that I know is a lot of like, you gotta be tough or what are you doing? You know, like there's like this ultimatum that you are the absolute you decide your own fate. Yeah, yeah. And I think that's what lures people in is like, yeah, I work hard. I get stuff done. You know, I got to pull myself up by my bootstraps and then not acknowledging how some people's bootstraps are much sturdier and nicer and put together than maybe other people's bootstraps. And so it's a kind of a false point of view to have because you're not acknowledging the diversity within our society. So I do think his dad possibly could have told him, yeah, you're dead to me. Now, in addition, during this very bad time, there are a few young women who speak out, um, not at the time, but later on. But it happened during this time. Oh, so like their stories are from this time. This time, yes. Okay. So they are women, young women from his 
homeschooling group. So they're pretty naive young women. I'm picturing like a breakfast club scenario here. Okay. And um, one of them was a woman named Katrina. And he was newly paralyzed, but Cawthorn was a popular, handsome, charismatic young man. Yeah, I think that helped actually get him elected, too. So he contacts this woman and asks her to go on a date. She agrees, and so she drives to me. He's paralyzed at this time. He's paralyzed at this time. Cawthorn invites her to get into his handicapped accessible vehicle, and the two drive away about 20 minutes to a secluded field for a campfire. Katerina doesn't remember the exact location or details, but she remembers that once they arrive, Cawthorn lights a fire, and she sits next to him in a chair he had brought for her. The date takes an uncomfortable turn when he asks her a series of intimate sexual questions about uh, whether she is she has had sex, going to have sex, why she hasn't had sex. He asks her to sit on his lap, and she tries to laugh it off, but he insists. And as a young, naive girl, she is unsure how to say no, so she sits in his lap and feels intense discomfort. Oh, boy. And she, yes, he tries to kiss her, and she turns her head away, and... A few minutes later, he tries again and grabs her face. And she recalls that he was much stronger than her. So uh, when she pulls away and attempts to jump out of his lap, her hair gets caught in Cawthorn's wheelchair. And she has to pull out some of her hair just to free herself. Oh, Jesus. This whole thing is like just really uncomfortable because they're probably, I mean... I don't want to justify his actions at all, but it is, it's just such an awkward time yes. to be a teenager. Like yes. when your your early sexual experiences, I feel like are so weird. So it's like as cringe as this is, it's so far, I don't know if there's more details to come, but it's like, I don't know if I, I think the most villainous thing is like the pulling, holding her face, but the other stuff, I don't know. I sort of feel like that's part of your adolescence, not yes. boys being boys, but like, I think even girls get themselves in situations yes. where they're the ones asking the questions or like trying to do a like it goes both ways. I don't know. I totally agree. And I think that's a good point for us to be at when we hear you know, one story about this, it's when these things become a pattern that yeah. we need to be concerned. So we're seeing the beginning of a pattern. The beginning of the pattern. Okay. The article I referenced for this does confirm this with three of her friends because she does text her friends saying the date had gone horribly. Confirm They confirm that, all the details and such. Um including text messages. It's also scary too. Imagine when he I I don't know, when he had the use of his legs and the forcefulness of it, 
Yeah. I think that's what freaks me out. It's like, what was he doing, you know, in Florida when he had his legs? Like, Yes. Many of the um, sad, depressed text messages do talk a lot about how he has lost his manhood and feels emasculated. So it like kind of plays in both ways. Like I think the loss of his, like his paralyzation has kind of also created the need for him to feel like forceful. Oh yeah. Yeah. So it's like hard to know if he was like forceful before or if this is a result of some obviously psychological issues since the change he's gone through yes uh they also find another young woman similar so this happened in late 2014 and this is happening in may of 2015 to a woman who had a boyfriend at the time and um cawthorn offers her a ride goes on a longer route and then attempts to um kiss her put her put his hands on her but she says no pushes him away is so cringe yes and she tells her friends about this as well but at the time they both both of the women aren't going to like go to the police or anything and they also are feeling you know a little bit of sympathy for this new paraplegic Back to the time after his father gives him this talking to, and Cawthorn says, He took the thought of suicide completely out of his mind and decided he was going to live his life. So in the fall of 2016, he enrolls in Patrick Henry College, which is a school in Loudoun County, Virginia, with fewer than 400 students that, quote, exist to glorify God and, quote, prepare Christian men and women who will lead our nation and shape our culture. Oh, good God. I've been down there. Like, that is some very heavy, bizarre Christian shit going on down there. Yes, it is indeed. But funny enough, this doesn't go very well for him as he averages (laughs) his, um, his grades. He averages D's. And he establishes a reputation for predatory behavior and gross misconduct towards female peers. And to be honest, to get that reputation down there, because there's already a baseline, like boys will be boys. So if you're like, if your reputation is known as that, you're like more excessive than what was already acceptable. And the bar is already very low. Indeed. So you're a freaking monster. According to an open letter, 148 former students wrote and signed, quote, he was a wolf in sheep's clothing who made our small, close-knit community his personal playground of debauchery. That's that's pretty bad. That's like Stifler <laughs> or something. <laughs> like, like that's uh, that's pretty loud. <laughs> It's insane. Like, it's pretty insane. So he drops out after a year. He doesn't. He's he is a Christian college dropout. Like, I don't even think I have a hundred and forty eight 
I don't think I even have a hundred classmates that probably remember me over the years. I agree. You know what I'm saying? Yes. Most of this conduct involves taking them out on joy rides to secluded areas where he locks doors and makes unwanted sexual advances. Very similar to what we've already seen. So we can see the pattern. We got a pattern. This is now a pattern. Once he drops out, he returns to North Carolina and doesn't work or go to school. Instead, he gives motivational speeches at colleges and churches. Oh, my God. Well, he found his racket, I guess. Indeed. Um, another side racket. He starts what he calls a real estate investment company where he purchases a single six-acre lot in rural Georgia for $20,000. Maybe this is why his dad told him, like, maybe you should kill yourself. Like, he already knew. He's like, oh, I raised a rapist. Uh, so during one of these uh, speeches, he he describes telling the doctors how he would be well enough to attend the Naval Academy by Christmas. What? Is that real? It's not real. I mean, but does the Navy even, ex if you are, if you don't, okay. Does the government military, they used to turn people away if they had a heartbeat that was off. Yes. Is that still the case? I'm pretty sure that's still the case. Ask Matthew. Yeah, I, I'm not completely sure. He like back when he thinks, oh, I'll, I'll be able to walk again. I just need to go through this intense rehab. He talks about how he's still going to go to the Naval Academy. But according to his depositions in these lawsuits that we've talked about, he's already acknowledged that he's been rejected by the school before he ever got in his accident. Oh, my good God. Wow. The balls on this guy. Because I was like, oh, maybe he applied. And that's what you were going to say. Yeah. But he was actually rejected when he had the use of both of his legs. Yes. Yep. That's brutal. That's like, why would you even tell people? Nope, you should not. <laughs> that's like some real narcissism, right? Yes. Yes. Oh, my God. In addition, he talks about having been accepted to Harvard and Princeton, which was not true. He speaks about how he had been, he was working full time for the rep representative at the time, Mark Meadows, which this is in his deposition. He's lying. He's lying on the stand. What is, what is the real punishment for that? Like, I don't know. I know you can be charged with what, like perjury or whatever, but like, is that really that serious? What is that a felony? What's. What's going on? Is that a real threat to anyone? That's a great question because I don't know. And also, like, I think this kind of maybe shows a little bit uh, that his he's mentally unstable because perhaps he thinks this is true if he's saying it on the stand. Like, I don't think you ex a person exaggerates on the stand. Well, even if you do, I mean, no matter what, you're mentally unstable. Yeah, yeah. Whatever the case, there's not a real reason to lie like this so whether if he believes it or he knows it's lies it's like it's very unhinged yes it is unhinged funny enough so obviously there's records to contradict all these things 
including um, that he only worked part-time instead of full-time for the representative and even that's in a that's a good lie that's an easy lie <laughs> yeah you, even if you're there part-time like who's gonna know how many hours you're putting in but the school that's things that's a little out of the ballpark you know what i'm saying yes yes and i mean just I, i'm sure petty people at npr uh found other workers at this Mark Meadows campaign, or I can't, it was either NPR or Politico story, but they're like, kind of the same. Uh, yeah. <laughs> He's uh, find of someone he worked with who says he didn't do much. He worked for us and answered the phones, but he couldn't even really do that just to be honest. <laughs> so he, oh, wow. was like not really doing anything. Yeah. He was too busy trying to plan his next assault. Uh, another lie that he often repeats during these um, motivational speeches is that he was left to die in a fiery tomb at his accident, which I've already told you did not happen, which was acknowledged by his friends and family who all say that his friend Brad Ledford actually saved his life. Yeah, how, so how did he get out of the fiery tomb, though? How did he finish up that lie? He crawled I, out the window himself? I think so, and um, he finishes off that story by saying, the paramedics thought I was dead on the scene. They did not. Also, if you crawled out the window, why would the paramedics think you were dead? That's an excellent question. I don't know. I think they would come there and say, <laughs> well, look at this guy. He has such a will to live. <laughs> one specific speech at a chapel at his own Virginia college, which I don't know why they would invite him back to whatever. That's not the point of the story. Cawthorn recalls how the front right corner of the car barreled into the barricade and kept going metal scraping the opening of the concrete with such friction and intensity, the gas line was exposed and ignited in a inferno. Um, he was my brother and my best friend. And he runs to safety deep in the woods and leaves me. So does he, I'm just curious, does he actually have a college degree? No, he does not. Okay. And so they invite him back, the guy who never got a degree. <laughs> and has an open he, letter against him. <laughs> he has an open letter against him. That, didn't that come later? Well, I imagine it actually probably happened right when they invited him to speak at this chapel. Oh, right. So it was like, you can't invite this guy. And then he tells this incredible lie. Yep. Wow. And his friend is extremely hurt by this, um, as you might be, because they are actually still friends. And he's just like using this story as some sort of talking point. Well, he's out here trying to get capital for from investors for his startup yeah and then his best friends out here with his name in his mouth oh that's rough that's a hard friend to have that's yeah. toxic friendship right there very much so so this is kind of the beginnings of the madison cawthorn story so during this time as well his instagram he starts becoming this kind of buys into his own supply, perhaps motivational, upbeat, positive kind of 
Instagram. Well, that's how you get the gigs. Yes. You have to have a good Instagram. That's, I mean, that's how AOC got elected. There you go. He's wearing camo, smoking cigars, shooting guns and bows, doing dips at the gym, and using quotes such as, wake up determined to throw punch life. Go America. <laughs> this sounds like, I don't think they listen to this, but it sounds like one of my cousin's oh. wives. <laughs> she like is a part of that, uh, one of the cults we talked about, South Beach. Is that what it's oh, called? Oh, yeah, yeah, South Beach Diet. And that's what her posts are like. They're like her working out. They're like, go America. I wake up and I get shit done. <laughs> yes. Well, a lot of people like that back in the day. I think they still do. Yeah, I mean, as long as there's magas, that's uh, that's going to sell. God is good. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I almost spit out my coffee. <laughs> he also excitedly talks about training for the 2020 Paralympics in Tokyo. But this becomes a joke among actual Paralympians because they don't know him. They've never seen him. He's never competed in an event or been seen on any list. But it's a good, I like this racket. I mean, he's a scumbag, but this is a good racket because it's not one that anyone can necessarily disprove. Like you could say he's not on any list and he hasn't registered, but like, I don't know how training works for the sure. Paralympics. So maybe, maybe he knows something. I don't know. I don't know. It is a good racket. Um, he posts pictures of him traveling with his parents, with his cousin, and with the woman that he is going to marry. He loves cruises, including a specific cruise where he emerged as a star dressing up in women's lingerie and makeup to win a risque late night game show. Okay. I've never been on a cruise, but from everything I've heard about cruises, they're not great like i think they're great for a certain type of person and for you to want to be the star of the cruise it's like uh a layer like it's one thing to like cruises and then to be like when i'm on a cruise ship i am the most important person there that's kind of demented right can we all yeah. agree on that have you been on a cruise i have i have and what are, what's your assessment of this as someone who's experienced a cruise? Yeah, I don't think it's necessary. I think that he's probably um, taking it a little too much as a summer camp popularity contest. Right? Because if you think about it, it's a bunch of people who've isolated themselves on a vessel and you've made it your mission to be the star on this isolated vessel it just feels like it fits everything that we've said so far about him it's funny because so many people on the cruise remember him because he is literally trying to get more attention and he's like oh my god i just imagine he's like just this absolute freak like oh the nice man in the wheelchair and it's like oh no, there's a dark side. They're like, stay away from him. So these pictures of him on this cruise surface during his campaign, which 
is announced only days after he goes on this cruise. So I, I'll show, how about I show you some pictures? Yeah, let's see some pictures. Mm, I don't, you know, I don't, I feel like I'm like shaming. No, let's see the pictures. Because if he's cross-dressing, you know, yeah. he's doing it. Because men dressing up as women is right funny. is not yeah. because you know what I mean. It's like the right, most right. basic bitch humor. He like still watches bosom buddies. Yeah, yeah. Like it's not it's not something that we can be like. Like it doesn't preclude you from running for office, but it does like maybe make people question your judgment if you're. I don't know. I'm not sure. Well, it's only going to affect the libs. Yes, yes. Basically, in the pictures, it's him. He's not even like fully committing to it. He's wearing like a tank top or something with like a basically yeah. a bra over it. And then he has like these hot babes around him. And so it's like it's not um, fully committed to like drag. Yeah, yeah. It's just basically like I'm a man in a wheelchair wearing a bra. Isn't this funny? And so it's kind of just creepy. Yeah. And I think there's a type of person that's like, yeah, fuck PC shit. This is hilarious. And I think majority of people would look at it and just say, like, it's not funny for a varietal of reasons, even if you're not progressive or liberal. It's still like it's just a dude wearing a bra like like if anything, it's the basic baseline of it is just like, why, though? Why, though? Don't know. Not sure. Like, I can't imagine. I don't want to know. Like, I'm sure he had like funny things or things. I mean, air quote funny like things that he was saying while dressed like that like stuff that he thinks that women say like just doing like goofs he's drinking white wine out of a chardonnay glass kind of thing he's saying like uh girl boss stuff (laughs) it reminds me of god there's that british guy who got in trouble for basically having underage girlfriends it was like huge scandal because he's friends with all these celebrities but it reminds me there's like this quote of him being like you know when you hold a woman and she says that hurts it's like like what are you talking about Jesus. and i feel like that's what he was saying like oh men are so rough it's like not all women say that and they don't say that if they're with a partner that they enjoy being around who isn't trying to harm them jesus so we are at his election cawthorn becomes a member of congress because he got eighteen thousand four hundred eighty-one votes in a primary which is 1016 votes more than the candidate who finished third oh wow North Carolina GOP consultant working for one of his many opponents says he won because of charisma and sympathy in a very low voter turnout election. Yeah, like they were going to probably vote. They're voting Republican. Yes. 
So it's whoever wins this primary, but it's extremely low turnout because they already know the Republicans are going to win. And there's like 16 candidates or whatever. So he just seemed to be probably the like most normal perceived and good looking. And he's in a wheelchair. And I don't even think the wheelchair thing really matters. I think it's probably more that he wasn't saying like blatantly racist stuff. I'm guessing. Yes. So the political story says, really, Cawthorn is a member of Congress because he didn't run as the person he's been since he won. Oh, yes. Now we're going to go into the way he ran before he got into Congress. He casts himself as pretty standard conservative Christian Republican. He is for freedom and liberty and the Second Amendment. He's against the socialists and radicals on the left. Which already, that's like, Republicans are turned on by that. I mean, and that's probably most of them who are running at this point. Like, all 16 candidates yes, are like are saying those that. points. Yes, yeah. yes. But he is for instance, one of only a dozen Republican candidates to speak at a forum at a community college in Asheville and talks on behalf of the reporters who the rest wanted to kick out. I think the press should be allowed to be here so people can hear what we have to say. So um, so he's hitting the media circuit really well. Yeah. Really, most of his campaign then is like his Instagram here he's already on the lecture circuit, so he's already talking to a lot of young voters. So he's like a moderate Republican as opposed to like a lot of other Republicans that are like they don't know how to really control their media personalities. And so he's figured out the thing because a lot of them are old and you need a younger generation to reach younger people. So I kind of see how he's already talking to the people that he needs to be talking to. Yes. And then to those older Republicans, he looks like a good boy. Yep. He tells a reporter from the Mountaineer newspaper in Waynesville, we're going to win in silence. We don't want to be arrogant. What does that mean? Well, he chides his opponent, Lydia Bennett, whom Mark Meadows and Donald Trump had endorsed for refusing to commit to debate him. Cawthorn says, I believe that it's the best way that the voters will make an informed decision. Why did she refuse? Do we know? Well, because she thinks that uh, she she is being arrogant and assuming she's going to win. So she's not going to debate. Is that really why she didn't, though? Um, who knows? I don't know. Oh, OK. Um, I'm just curious. I think so. I mean, I would presume so, because, okay, so it's a there's like, you know, 16 people in the primaries, and then he gets runoff against this Lydia Bennett, or Linda Bennett, I think I called her Lydia before, Linda Bennett. She has the endorsing of Mark Meadows, the former rep, and Trump, so I, I would assume she thinks she's going to win against Madison Cawthorn. But that's wild, because even... I think, I don't know if her arrogance is that, I think she, maybe she used her arrogance to justify something, but it's like, these people love flapping their mouths. Yeah, yeah. And so like, how hard would it be to debate a kid 
You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. She must have done, they must have done like some polls and they were like, you'll come across as shrewd and like a loud woman <laughs> or something like, like people don't like it when women talk. So maybe you don't debate them. Actually, yeah, that's that seems pretty possible. Like they have proven that, that that's why women politicians talking like their weird low registers because they've done studies to show that like men don't like women's voices essentially so sad yeah and a lot of people see these things and they see him as possibly a new kind of republican which is weird because if he's not endorsed by Trump and Trump is considered a new type of Republican. Oh, yeah. It's like a it's new- just like this party is just splitting to so many hairs that I'm just like still surprised that that they have any anything. After he wins, he is uh, brought onto the view. Whoopi Goldberg announces him. He's just 24 years old. His name is Madison Cawthorn, and he scored one of the big upsets in the primaries on Tuesday in North Carolina. Was Whoopi nice to him on that episode? She was. Oh, Whoopi. That's probably why she became so mean. She knew she had been had. Yes. He said, we kept all politics local. We were just focused on caring about the people I want to represent. Which is interesting, because that sounds like a lot of progressive movements too sure and he said tells the new york times i believe i can carry the message of conservatism in a way that doesn't seem so abrasive for so long we've just been kind of a party of no without offering a lot of really good answers interesting yeah interesting interesting now many of the articles about him during this time are kind of focusing on his comeback story. Uh, He told the Washington Examiner, I've experienced more pain and more suffering than the overwhelming majority of people. That has taught me something that uh, is, I believe, absolutely missing in conservative politics, and that is empathy. Wait, is his comeback story like coming back from being a paraplegic? Yes, yes. Okay. Wow. He says, to liberals, let's have a conversation. To conservatives, let's define what we support and win the argument in areas like healthcare and the environment. You've already you've already defined it, which is you don't give a shit. That's your party. Your party is money first. All we care about is money and God. And we only care about God because our voters care about money and God. That's it. What do you mean? What is there to define? At the Republican National Convention, he is touted as a future star of the party. And CNN's Chris Jaliza says it was moving. Who's that? I don't know. This is a CNN reporter, probably. Okay. I mean, on paper, he's got the influencer thing. What's crazy this is the bullshit, though, about like reporters is like reporters are like, you know, we're just doing our job. And then it's like, well, why didn't anyone do any breaking stories on this guy's background? You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah. This is why people don't trust the media, because nobody looked into who this guy actually was. So why would we trust the reporters if your job is to investigate this for the people? 
um, I'll just give you two more little anecdotes that, uh, no, three more that uh, talk about how um, uh, much of a different kind of Republican he's promising to be before next week when we turn to how he is not the new kind of Republican <laughs> that this he promised basically to be. <laughs> all pre-politician becoming a politician. Next week's going to be like the fallout. Yes, yes. Okay, cool. Um, speaking with Jewish insider, Cawthorn praised Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. He disagreed with her policy platform, but in other ways, he admired the woman who had become the standard bearer for young progressives. Quote, she is influencing an entire generation. I'm sure her and I will get along when we go to Congress. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. This is like some bully shit. Like, oh, I'm extending the olive branch. And then when he goes and like bees a total pervert to her and she's like, fuck this guy. Then she looks like the villain because he's already making statements that he's so open and generous. Whatever. Whatever. During the George Floyd fallout, Catherine says Black Lives Matter. And I was unhappy with the way the president treated the death of George Floyd. The lack of empathy he showed after the death happened. Oh, well, there we go. Now we're now we're getting somewhere. And um, he says, quote, the reason President Trump didn't endorse me is because I'm willing to be strongly critical of him whenever he messes up. I'm not planning to vote for Donald Trump or Joe Biden. That's fair. He also says he didn't care for Trump's tweets. It does more to add to the partisan divide than to try to heal it and unite us all as Americans. It makes people enemies of each other instead of saying we are Americans first and let's work towards the future. Unfortunately, that will be the last positive thing we will say about Madison Cawthorn. <laughs> wow. Well, you can't. I mean, I think that's what everybody's learning. You can't really go against the Trump meister. Republican politics, especially since Reagan, I think it started before Reagan, but especially since Reagan, this idea of America first is like their whole thing. Like we need to take care of our own because that's part of pulling your bootstraps and whatever. So like making those sort of blanket statements, it's not. It's just noise in the air. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like you have to be more cutting if you're going to go against Trump and you have to be smarter about it, because like even Trump, I don't want to give any clout to Dave Chappelle, but he did have a very good monologue when he pointed out Trump being like, I know the system is bad because I abuse it. Like that, I think that's one of the most like favorite things that people love about Trump is like, yeah, I do bad shit, but I do bad shit because I'm allowed to. And people are like, hell yeah, brother. And so you have to be more like cutting against somebody who's already admitting to being the villain. Yeah. Well, are you excited for next week? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I'm because uh, it gets more scandalous, right? Yes. Yes. Though it is. Well, we'll talk about that next week. Is that your version of a tease? Yes, yes. <laughs> well, thank you for doing all this research. I know you've been traveling, so for you to fit it in, pretty remarkable. Where can people find you? 
You can find me on Instagram and Twitter at Bridget underscore suck it. How about you, Molly? So I did start, <laughs> of course, I'm going to go into this. I did start a hive, which you can find me at Molly MM9. So you don't even have to really look too hard. If you want to find me on other platforms, probably check that one or not that one, that, that name, that check handle. that name, that handle. Yes. So what is the hive? It is a very small social media website that has pictures. And I think that's pretty much the only difference. But is it like Twitter too, or is it? It's like Twitter too. So it's like Twitter and Instagram had a baby. Yeah. But the uh, benefit that I found right when I started using it was just that I didn't get like the gross not gross but like overwhelming feed of shit that i didn't care about it was just like here's my friends sweet <laughs> maybe maybe you could run a sex with ghosts account on there yeah we'll see because they did have some issues recently and they did Ooh. have to shut down their platform for a while so we'll see if it comes back okay well you can find Sex with Ghosts right now on Twitter and Instagram at Sex with Ghosts underscore. Um, you can show your support by giving us a five star review wherever you get your podcasts. And if you want to show further support, you can go to patreon.com slash sex with ghosts. All right. All right. Until next week, where we get part two on this dirty freakazoid. I can't wait. Bye. Bye. <laughs>